Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. This is your host, Ryan Kennedy. And today's episode is with Jamie Gruber, who one of my patients connected me with about a month ago. And just in our first conversation, I love this guy's energy, demeanor, his desire to serve. And in the short time I've known this dude, he's provided a ton of value to my life by asking me to present to his mastermind called Emerge. He hosted me on an awesome interview uh, on his podcast called Tribe of Millionaires which I encourage you to check out. And I've been tuning into his weekly newsletter, Confessions of a Midlife Entrepreneur, which Jamie is freaking epic, dude. It's witty. It's well-written. It's packed with all sorts of tips and stories. And every time I open that thing, I'm like blown away by the amount of, you could just feel how much intention and effort you're putting into it. You're not just going through the motions to put something out and put words on on the Mm -hmm. screen, but it really feels like you're putting something special together. So every week I'm like, dude, this guy's putting some gold out here. So a little bit of background on Jamie. He's got over 20 years of coaching experience. He's a multifamily real estate investor. He creates these epic masterminds, Emerge and Ascend, which help people become millionaires and find freedom and fulfillment in their lives. So Jamie, welcome to the show, brother. Oh man. Wow. That was an intro. Thank you, man. Great to see you again. Likewise, man. So let's start with your backstory. I know first time we chatted within like five minutes, you were giving me the whole spiel. And I was like, I like this dude. And so you left your cushy, high paying W2 job. You jumped into the world of entrepreneurship, even though you had a family, you had kids and you did it anyway. So tell people listening in about that trajectory. Yeah, I followed the path most of us follow, right? And I, the one thing I didn't do was graduate college because I hated it. But other than that, I found a corporate gig as a claims adjuster. I always make the joke that I wanted to be a radio broadcaster at 16. So naturally at 21, I became an insurance adjuster. And <laughs> from that point forward, it was sort of, I think what we all do is like, wow, okay, I'm pretty good at this. It's good enough. Never what I plan to do, but it's good enough. My dream, I guess it died. I had to grow up, all of that stuff. And I just started to pursue the path of making the most money possible out of this career. I saw that pathway. It was enjoyable enough. I had you know good people that I worked with. It was a good culture with the company. All of that. I, I just gave myself all of those like, yeah, this is nice. This is nice. As opposed to listening to what I knew that, that was there, this inner voice in me saying, but it's not you. It's still not you. As I went step by step up from claims adjuster to manager in New York uh, to Uh, a middle, like a higher level manager in Boston, and then eventually to an executive position in Michigan. And that was uh, in total 21 years before I finally decided to exit. But yeah, you know, that, that, uh, that path showed me that, you know, I, I, I want to be more aligned with my authenticity as I go forward into the second half of my life and not just settle for what makes, gives me the result. The entrepreneurs I got to know as I started to transition from, you know, employed to entrepreneurship, they they did not chase the outcome. They chased the process. And so for me, I'm I'm still learning how to do it because I've ch- I spent a lot of years chasing the outcome. But I'm I'm getting better and better at chasing the process and enjoying the day to day of what entrepreneurship is. And the outcomes are just kind of coming and happening. It's it's pretty incredible what's going on. But but that's my general overall story. I can fill in blanks. I can give more tactical stuff. Exactly the you know the story of how that came to be. But I want to leave you space. So that's the 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 Cliff Notes version. Yeah. I love it. And so what what do you think holds people back from making that transition? Because you talk to a lot of people who are working towards getting out of their W-2, pursuing something that's more fulfilling, that they're passionate about, that they actually want to be doing. And 
unlike you, there's a lot of people that aren't making tons of money. They hate their W-2. Like, it sounds like you were in a pretty good spot. Like, it's not like you were miserable and just banging your head against the wall and then not having much of a paycheck to show for it. Like, I would say majority, over 50% of people out there in the world are probably in that position. So what inspired you to be like, well, I'm going to go from this good thing to pursue this unknown thing that could be great, but could also not be great. You know, you don't really know what you're getting into. It's a great question. You were talking about, I'll answer that. And you also asked about what holds people back. And there's a few things that jump to mind with that, that I want to, I want to touch on. So I think the first thing is we accept like, we accept like, and it, 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 it's something that kind of blows my mind now with the benefit of sort of hindsight or talking to people that were exactly where I was three, four years ago, just sort of getting this epiphany of like, I'm tired of this, but what do I do for me? I was making 400 grand a year. You know, I had equity. I was, you know, top two, 300 guy in a 50,000 person company. It wasn't insignificant. Mm -hmm. And there was a path there for me. I could have easily rode that out till I was 60, 65. And, you know, I would have been very, very secure financially if I had done that. But we accept like what I hear from people when I talk to them about, you know, what, what is it about your job? Or especially when I start to push and challenge a bit, uh, somebody who's sort of indicating because they follow my stuff or they're talking to me that they want to quit their job. But when I say, well, why don't you? They become very defensive and they use the phrase, well, I like what I do. You know, it's not like I don't like what I do. Like, I like what I do. My question for them always is, well, I start with this. Okay. You spend 40, 50 hours a week at work at least. Okay, cool. How much time you spend with your wife and kids? Yeah, another you know, 30, 40 hours. Okay, and then with yourself. Well, the rest of the time. Okay, so there's there's your wife and kids or husband and kids. There's your job and there's you. Those are the three things you spend the most time on. Most of your life is spent there. Would you accept liking your wife and kids? And like, no, no, I, I love my wife and kids. Okay, would you accept liking you? You're not bad. No, 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 I, I want to love me. Okay, well, then why do you accept the majority of the time that you spend outside of your wife, kids, and you, and sleeping maybe, the majority, why would you accept like, right? Like, I yeah. want to love what I do. And that's something that we just don't allow ourselves to do. So that's, to me, the first thing is we get comfortable with like, number one. Number two is our identity gets tied up, man. And especially depending on the specialty, like you're in the medical profession. I talk to doctors, lawyers, people like that, that spend years and years in education. And then they got to go through the bar or residency or whatever. And it's like now maybe seven, eight years into a non-residency career as a doctor, you're 40 years old and you're thinking, I don't want to do this anymore, but I've dedicated most of my adult life to educating myself with this. That identity is really, really hard to shift. And honestly, the, the, the biggest thing to me beyond those two that that I think people uh, would say is there's a fear of failure. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that that's the case. I do believe mm-hmm. there's a fear of failure. I'm not going to just walk past it. Failure though in what? And when you think about failure, it's like, what are you really going to fail at? Like you're employable. You can get a job, right? You, you're not going to live under a bridge. You're not going to lose everything. And you know, I mean, if you did, then you're just... It's like jump off the ride if it's not going well. If you quit your job and you know you're 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 in this entrepreneurial endeavor that's going to shit, get out of it and go back and get a job. I mean, this is that's the reality. You might have to downgrade your lifestyle, but you're not going to go to zero more than likely. But the bigger fear, I think, behind fear of failure is fear of judgment. I think that's what really drives fear of failure. And the example I always use is this: like, you ever been walking down the street and like 
like trip and fall on like a sidewalk. Like the, the thing is, uh, you know, not level and you trip and fall on the sidewalk or, or you bump into a piece of glass that you didn't realize was, was not, you thought it was a clear walkthrough or whatever. If you've ever had that happen to you, like, what is the first thing you do after you do it? You look around, right? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and if somebody saw you, you're like, you do that. Like, oh, I know. I know how stupid that was. Ah, no, 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 no. That's good. <laughs> I, I want you to know that I know that that was, that didn't look very good. If no one's there, you just kind of go about your day. If you could fail in a vacuum, if you could fail miserably and no one saw it, I really believe the fear of failure becomes very minimal and the fear of judgment for that failure is what it becomes. So that to me, those to me are the three things. You asked a second question about, um, you know, what led me to the decision, but I, I, I'll pause there unless you just want me to roll into it. No, I, I wanted to highlight that distinction and that's dynamite because you're right. We fear the judgment of others because we care what people think about us. And yeah. as much as there's like these memes on the internet and these motivational speakers who are like, don't care what people think about you. It's human instinct. It's, yeah. you know, we've evolved to want to fit into our tribe and want to abide by our community's expectations because that's what helped us not be left behind and, and uh, you know, outcast in these, you know, more ancestral times. And now in today's world, everything you do is put out on the internet and on social media <laughs> for everyone to see. And I remember just starting out on my journey. I mean, I obviously had a different path than you. I just went straight into entrepreneurship. My, right. I never worked a W2 job and I just looked at the opportunities available to me and thought, why would I go work for some company and make, you know, pretty lousy pay yeah. when I could go do my own thing, make more money, not have to answer anyone, dictate my own success through my actions and be performance-based. So I just, my mindset well, was always there from the start. You know, what's funny is I believe then you, like when I talk about fear of fail, fear of judgment, so there's two levels of judgment. There's judgment from others and there's judgment of yourself, your own self-judgment. And, and this is what, and this is for anybody who listening that's like me, maybe you're 35, 40 and you're, you've got this like entrepreneurial idea, but you're not the guy or gal that opened the lemonade stand or started the landscaping company when you were seven and hired all your friends and just had that natural instinct like you did toward entrepreneurship or that natural sense of like, why would I go work for somebody? Like I'm a guy that came around to that at 38 not at 19 or 16 or 15. But I think the folks that do like you, that that dive into entrepreneurship early, I honestly believe their fear of judgment, if the level goes like this, it's fear of self-judgment. Like I, I'm not enough, right? Or I'm, I'm, you know, I'm gonna judge myself and secondarily fear of others. I think those of us that are more midlife entrepreneur, like is what, what I call myself, it's mm. fear of others' judgment and then secondarily your own. I think we we subordinate our own judgment to, the, to other people's judgment. That's what keeps us in place. Whereas you, we both have the fear of both, but I believe that your fear, this is my, my assessment, you, the Gary V's, the folks that we look at like true blue entrepreneurs, their fear of judgment is their own self-judgment of themselves. And then after that, close second is fear of judgment of others. I've, I've noticed that in the, in the highest performers and the entrepreneurs that I've gotten around, they're more like from the very beginning had this instinct toward it is that's the level of judgment they go through. If that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. And I think a lot of fear of judgment comes when people judge other people heavy. Like when you're yeah. totally judging other people and you're talking a bunch of shit about people behind their backs, then you're like, Oh God, what are they going to say about me? Cause yeah. you're in that mentality of like, people talk shit about you because clearly I talk shit about other people. So it's kind of just breathes this whole like negative energy cycle that I think people fall into. And then it cripples them from taking action. You, you shared a couple other points I wanted to highlight because Perfect. there is this sunk cost fallacy where it's like, I've dedicated this amount of time to my education, this amount of money. I went through these steps. I got up the corporate ladder, but the way I've always looked at it is like, are you going to continue to just allow that to 
kind of mess up your future. It, same thing yeah. if you get burned by, you know, a mentor or a coaching program or a relationship. And then you're like, ah, this stuff is crap. I'm not doing this anymore. If you're going to let it continue to burn you by missing out on future opportunities rather than just kind of cutting ties there and saying, listen, it didn't go the way I hoped. I learned a lot. Now I'm going to move forward so that it doesn't continue to fuck me over as I, you know, go through my life. So I think that's another good distinction for people to make is it's like the longer you stay in the turmoil or whatever path you're in, if you're not happy, it's only going to make it worse. It's not going to yeah. make it like, well, now the schooling and this time was totally worth it. Cause now I'm miserable for another 10 years instead of, yeah. you know, another two years. It's like being, Dude, I love it, that. I love yeah. that. And I'll just to accentuate that. I, I believe that the, the first level of do I quit my job is do I have something to run toward or am I simply running away? Right. So if mm -hmm. I have something to run toward, if I've got a business I've built and a portfolio I've created, a passion project that I've started, and I've got something to run toward, and I'm going to walk away from whatever I've done with gratitude, not run away from it and say, oh, thank God I'm done with that. Because that to me has a greater, a greater chance that you're going to have to go back and get it. But if you got something to run toward, then the, the, the pace at which when you're fully aligned with your purpose and you've created this vacuum for yourself of removing not only the hours that you work at a job, but the amount of non-hour related energy that goes into that job, like Sunday suck, you don't sleep at night, like just how it sits on you. When you get rid of that, for me, it took me 21 years to make 400 grand. In my first year out, uh, I guess in my second year out, it was 700 grand. You know, like 21 years to make 400, 21, and then within two years, 700 in a com insurance claims. And over here, it's like mastermind course creator, you know, kind of an influencer sort of, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. when you align with something that you're running toward your point that, what did you call it? The uh, uh, sunk cost fallacy. That's a great, great phrase. That's exactly that's exactly right. That's a great way of putting it. I'm going to have to steal that. I love that. That's a great point. <laughs> I didn't make it up, but yeah, feel free to feel free to use it. Uh, and then the other last thing I want to highlight of what you shared that I think is important for people to think of. And I, I first heard Tim Ferriss talk about this, is this kind of exercise of fear setting yeah. and identifying like, what is the worst case scenario? Like, let's say you do go to zero. You're probably not going to be on the street. You probably have some family or some friends you can stay with if things really hit the fan. And like, yeah, you have to downgrade your lifestyle and may not go out to fancy restaurants. How's that going to materially affect your life? And really jotting all these scenarios down and realizing that the worst case scenario is probably not as bad as you think it is and you make it up in your head to be. It's probably like, you're going to be fine. And like yeah. you said, you're just going to find another job and be right back where you are now. So what you're doing now is kind of like the worst case scenario because when you pencil it all out, it's like, you're going to find yourself right back here if things go to shit and fail. So you might as well go for it because I've heard you speak about it. And with your journey, it's like, this kind of is the worst case scenario best case scenario you don't even you can't even fathom the best case scenario there's that's infinite it. opportunities infinite possibilities and i think that's a pretty good trade-out if you're looking at it from like an investment perspective or looking at it like weighing the risk reward ratio it's like well got infinite potential and opportunities or i'll be right back here right right yeah that's, exactly fear setting is a great exercise whether you do it formally or informally but that inverse risk analysis for sure it's like well the downside is pretty capped you know like I can afford a two bed apartment with my family. I would suck, but I could afford that. We'll have health benefits, whatever. We'll we'll live. But yeah. what could happen is un exponential. It's unlimited. Who knows, right? But you get one crack at this life. So do you do you do you take a shot now or do you wait for the second life that you hope comes? You know what I mean? Like at a certain point, you got to pull the trigger and go because we get what there's no this is no dress rehearsal. You get one shot. So now I love that man. Great point. And so continuing along your journey, you left your job. At what point was it while you were still working in the corporate gig or after that you got into real estate investing? 
No, before. So I, I, it's funny, like before I took the promotion to, to be an executive, I was doing a bunch of jobs laterally within my company just to get the experience. Like in my mind, looking back, it was like, I don't like what I do. It's because I'm not an executive. Once I get that executive role, I'm going to, so I would just put my head down and go do these other jobs that nobody else wanted to do at my level thinking like that. And it did, it got me the job thinking that was going to be the satisfaction point, but somewhere in there. And I always say, there's like this little inner voice that said, yeah, but if it doesn't work out, you know, like, I'm not so sure this is really what you want. I didn't hear that voice very well at the time, but something drew me to, you should buy real estate. And I had a single family house. When I moved from New York to Boston, it was 08. It was uh, I couldn't sell the house. So I kept it and I was renting it out, but I just, it was like a, I hated it. It was like this property I didn't want to deal with. And I didn't look at it as an asset. And now my mind seven, eight years later is going like, well, this real estate thing, like, well, you got one. So I kind of convert that mentally to being an asset and then go buy more. And I bought a couple of duplexes and fixed them up. And then, um, I, you know, I found this GoBundas community and I started to talk to them about next steps. And that led to like multifamily. So I bought a 16 unit. So I was doing all of that while at the job. So I always say that like I had the job, I was self-managing 40, uh, no, 16, 20, 25 units, 21 units, something like that. Job, self-managing 21 units, wife, kids. Um, and I had another community that I was running at that point uh, for multifamily investors. So lots of stuff going on while still at the day job for sure. Yeah. So tons of free time, no stress. Yeah. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's uh, the thing. Like, you know, the one question people have, and it's a good one is like, how do I balance it all? And there's two things. Mm -hmm. One, you don't, there's no such thing. I don't believe in balance. I really don't. Like I, I, I don't believe in balance in terms of like, 17% was spent here, 17% was spent there. Seven, mm -hmm. That's what people I think picture balance being. I think sure. you can have balance across the most the things that matter most to you. Like I spend time with my family and I grow my my personal life or my personal development. But the um the thing that I ask people when they say, I don't know how to do all of this. I have my job, I've got this side hustle I'm building. I want to, I don't want to, you know, be be derelict as a father or a husband or a wife or a mom. I always ask the simple question. Like I said, do you do your own dishes? And 100 out of 100 people say yes. And my point in asking that, it may sound ridiculous, is if you really look at your time in a day, if you're doing your own dishes, if you're mowing your own lawn, if you're you know doing your own laundry, if you're cleaning your own house or changing your own light bulbs or prepping your own meals, and you have the, a W-2 job where you can take that capital, even if, look- Go down to no 401k contribution or, you know, go down to zero on your W4 form, whatever you got to do to just get a little more money in the bank for a short period of time monthly that you could spend and invest it in all that shit being done for you. You would be amazed at how much time is freed up and allows you to be on dollar productive activity tasks. And when you do that, I think you know this, that's when you're starting to act like an entrepreneur because mm -hmm. you're starting to offload the stuff that doesn't move the needle. And you're starting to go into the stuff that you have genius in and you have passion for and you're driven toward, right? Your family, your business. And for right now, that job that makes the money for you to be able to provide for that family and build that business. So I think, yeah, people have to get out of their own way in that regard. And because it, it, it is, it's tough when you have a job to do all of it. But if you're doing your own dishes as an example, hire somebody. I know it's costly, but hire somebody to do that stuff. Use the W-2 for that. You can go back and do it later when you quit but I guarantee you, you won't have to if you do that right. Yeah, I completely agree. Outsourcing this stuff is is absolutely key, especially if you don't like it. Like I don't do dishes, I don't do laundry, I don't like this shit. It's not a good right. use of my time. And so that's, I think, a huge unlock for a lot of people. And for whatever reason, 
the mindset for people is like, I can't afford that. I can't afford that, Jamie. But then I could afford like this designer clothing and this new handbag and this new, you know, whatever $700 a month BMW payment. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That like, I don't absolutely, I absolutely don't need, Uh, like objectively speaking, there's no reason I need this like new fancy article of clothing or, you know, material possession, but that would, you know, afford you the ability to hire help to buy back your most valuable resource, which is your time. Like without a doubt, our time is, infinitely valuable for all of us. And so that's one thing. And then the other thing is to expand on what you said, when people really analyze like how they're spending their time, because I talk to people who are like, man, I don't have time to exercise. I don't have time to cook. I don't have time to eat well. I don't have time to, you know, get enough sleep. You name, you know, you name it. I'm like, well, I want you to check how much time you're spending on social media. How much time are you watching Netflix? How much time are you actually wasting on just like these mind numbing entertainment activities that you could use for these other things. It's not that you don't have time. It's that your priorities are not in line. And so I always teach people like figure out your priorities because you're right. Balance is hard, but you can have priorities and that can help to create a better structure in your life so that you do get the things done that really matter to you. I love that, man. I remember I, I, I love football, but I didn't watch it for years. You know, I didn't miss yeah. it, I guess, after I started, but I, I mean, think about it, it's like three to seven hours a Sunday that I yeah. could be doing something <laughs> different with. And honestly, most of the time it was just time with the family, but that was my time with them. And now my kids are starting to get into it. So I'm starting to watch it again. Um, yeah. But yeah, to your point, you, you know, there's some sacrifice there and that's what you do. You sacrifice that stuff. So you, you get into real estate and it's, it's awesome that you support a business because with the path you were on the way my mind would work. And I think a lot of people's would be like, I got to keep working this W2. So I can keep investing in real estate so I can get out of the W-2 because now my passive income and my assets produce enough cash flow to cover my lifestyle. And so what made you think like, screw that, I'm just going to go straight into entrepreneurship and leave this W-2, even if it means putting real estate investing on pause for a couple of years. You know, I I think I just reached the point at which I I could not bring myself to care anymore about the day job, you know, and I'm sure I could still, you know, muster up and muster up enough because of, you know, I had a big group, 150 people in my organization, you know, different levels, you know, those people I cared about, but it's still, it was just like, wasn't enough. And, you know, truthfully, I got to this point where for me, I was probably about 50% of my expenses were covered with passive income. So I wasn't there yet. I had about a year, maybe a year and a half's worth of money in the bank saved uh, that I earmark, honestly, like for investment, like, oh, but that's my investment account, right? I got to buy more real estate and all that good stuff. But I I just, I ran out of patience. And the thing that happened to me when I ran out of patience, the way I ran out of patience was I stopped asking the question or stopped lamenting the idea of like, God, I'm, you know, whatever I was at 41, 42 thinking like, man, if only I could go back to that stupid 22 year old that I was like, I felt I had to get the job and be responsible. And like a 22 year old today says to me, I'm struggling with what to do next. I would say to them as probably you would like, just go have, like, go do anything. Like yeah. you, you want to be a stand up comic, move to LA and try it. If it doesn't work in three months, like move to Dubai and be a bouncer at a club. Like who cares? You're 22. You've got so much time ahead of you. Like you wish you could just go back and shake that kid, right? And like, you don't need to be so serious at this age. Like we're conditioned like we need to be. I stopped doing that. And for a moment, I looked at 90-year-old me, who's, if I'm 41, 42, and I'm saying, man, I got wife, I got kids, she doesn't work, health benefits, a mortgage. If 22-year-old, man, if I were 22, this would be easy. Well, okay, in place, what would 90-year-old say about 42-year-old? And I just decided it was like, I only know, I'm the only one that knows that guy. No one else knows 90-year-old me except me truly. And he wouldn't say to me, well, first he would say, look, you're 42. 
your life isn't that complex. All right. You've mm -hmm. got, you got a couple of kids, you're young, you're, you're in your prime earning years. You'll be okay. Like I'm 90 and about to die. Like that's the complex life right there. Like there, it, I'm out of time. That's it. Life over, nothing left to do. I don't think he would then say, so what I want you to do younger me, 42 year old me is just grind it out miserably for the next 10, 15 <laughs> years and just waste that time. Now nah, yeah. he'd say, go take the leap, make the jump. So that was one thing. The other thing is I got familiar. Have you ever heard of the, the law of vacuum prosperity? I haven't. I love this law. Bob Proctor, not mine. So use it as well. Steal this. If you go, go, if you Google Bob Proctor law of vacuum prosperity, he does like a three minute video, late Bob Proctor. And the idea is very simple. In order for you to have what you want, you need to remove that which you have, right? So it works in any way. If you don't, if you want that person in a relationship, you probably need to end the relationship that you're in, in most cases, in order to have that person. And what happens is when you remove the thing that is in the way, when you create a vacuum, prosperity will fill that vacuum. You know, the greatest example is a closet, right? If you went through your closet right now and clean out all the clothes that you don't wear anymore, right? You just got rid of it. And you got like, you know, six random things hanging on hangers. That would be my closet because I, I wear the same thing every day, I feel like. So you got six random things hanging on hangers. If you go back in six months or nine months, the closet's not going to be empty. It's going to be filled up with new clothes. Maybe they represent your personality or your style or your brand now, right? Like you create the vacuum and prosperity fills it. You want a new couch, you got to remove the other couch to put it in its place. I got to this point where it's like, I'm spending time on the job and yes, I'm getting more money from it. And I'm spending time on all this other stuff. I can't continue on the pace of doing both and still be happy and mm -hmm. balance with my family and all that good stuff. So either I just take all this stuff I built from ground up and say, fuck it, never mind, back to the job, which just felt, I felt sick about even the thought of that. Mm -hmm. Or I remove the job and make, create that vacuum for this prosperity to fill it up. And I don't know about you, man, but most people I talk to that have quit, actually every one of them that have quit their job, they're surprised by one of two things. I can't remember the second one right now, but I know it's two things. I've said this before. One of them is, I, oh, I know what they are. The two things. One of them is, I can't believe how busy I am. I left the 40, 50 hour a week job, but I feel busier than ever. It's like, yeah. that's the vacuum law, not theory, law of prosperity at work. And second is I can't believe the amount of opportunities that are coming at me. When mm. you get rid of the thing that you've told the universe is not your thing anymore, and you step into what you've told the universe you do want, well, guess what's going to happen? The universe is going to start throwing stuff at you and throwing the things in front of you that you truly want. So yeah, man, I, I just, I got to a breaking point for me where I'm 42. I'm not getting any younger, 90 year old me. I know what he would tell me. And I got, I got to create this vacuum and see what it does. And I, I mean, so far so good. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me in a year. I hope it's, I hope it continues <laughs> to go up. No, no, you're, you're crushing it, dude. And I like, I think that's one of the things you mentioned. I think that's one of the more powerful thought exercises anyone could do. Just put yourself in your 80 or 90 year old shoes. And when oh, you're yeah. 90 years old, like what's really going to matter to you? Because as we're going through our day to day, we have these little micro stressors and things that get under our skin and things that we're worried about that are ruminating about. We're going to look back and be like, oh, I can't believe I made such a big deal out of that. And, yeah. you know, being 90, you'd be like, I'd kill to have those problems again. I would kill to be young and pain free and my joints don't ache and my body works great and I'm having great sex. And like, you know, you're going to think about all the, the problems that you have in this day and time, in this moment in time. When you're 90 and be like, what I would give all of my money, 
all of yeah. anything to to be right back in those problems in yeah. that situation. And I think that's just such a great frame of reference. Anytime someone's going through a, a turbulent time in their life or a transition and yeah. trying to decide what path that they want to take. It's like, are you going to regret staying where you are? Or are you going to regret going for it and seeing what you can really make of your life? Uh, and I think almost everyone, when you put it like that, is going to choose the latter. Well, it's it, and a very quick equation that I use with people sometimes. Like, so I'm 44, 42 at the time. And, you know, all right, let, let's say, let's just say I've got 20 years of this like peak vitality left, right? Maybe it's more. I hope it's more. I'm going to, you know, learn from you, obviously, and extend that as much as I possibly can. But, you know, 62 around there, I'll probably slow down a little bit, I'm assuming. So I got 20 years. That's what, uh, uh, 240 months, 240 months, right? If I give two years to the job that I don't really care that much about, that's 10%. 10% of my remaining vitality that I'm giving to something I don't like that much. That sound doesn't sound like much, but if I flip it and somebody's worth a million dollars, they have a million dollars in net worth. And I say, Hey, give a hundred grand to like, I don't know that charity over there. Like, well, what do they do? I, I don't know, but they're a charity. So just give it to them. You don't really, doesn't, you don't really like it or care about it that much, but still give 10% of all that you have to that charity that you're not passionate about that you kind of like, that's Okay. Do that. People would be like, no, I would never do that. But you're willing to do it with the resource that you would even agree. Most people would say, oh, time is my most valuable resource. Okay, well, you'll give that away for the next two years, but you won't give away your second most valuable resource at the same percentage. You know, it's just mm -hmm. those exercises really start to unlock for you the logical argument for why if you've got something to run toward, you need to make that move as soon as you possibly can, not when it's like, okay, it's all perfect. And now I can try to make, it'll never be perfect. You just got to make the move. Yeah. So at what point were you like, all right, dude, I'm getting after it. Dominican Republic is my spot because there's a lot of beautiful islands in the Caribbean, Jamie. And I know you moved there and you talk a lot about what it's like to live there. And I think you mentioned to me yesterday when we were chatting that you used to live somewhere, I forgot where you said, but it was cold and wet and you Michigan saw the sun, Michigan. Yeah. Yes. So I think anywhere you move near the equator is going to be an upgrade for Michigan, but why not Florida? Why not, you know, somewhere that's a little bit more, uh, you know, I don't know, within the United States sort of. The first thing you got to have, if you're going to leave a job or make a big move or step into something like that, where you're going to make a major, major change in your life is you got to have something to run toward. Like, like, I don't mean run, toward, I just said that, but you have to have an anchor, something that you've, you've created for yourself that just inspires the hell out of you. Not a business, not a career path, but like a vision a vision that just compels you forward. My vision that I stated, wrote down was I want to travel three months with my family to anywhere we want at any time, three months plus three, three or more months. You know, I wanted to travel with my family years ago. I wrote that down and then I kept that front of mind. So I needed clarity. That's my clarity. My, I created my vision. So once I, I went through, I got some accountability around this. I was pushed toward it and everything else. It was sort of like, all right, well, I'm at this point now where I've left the job. My businesses, not even like overly intentionally, but subconsciously, because I had this vision of being able to go anywhere when I want, my businesses were all built on the idea that I could do it from anywhere. So none of my businesses anchored me into Michigan or any one location for that matter. And then thirdly, my wife is from here and we spent a month down here in January of last year. And while here, we're watching my son's play with what would be their cousins. Like she still has a lot of family. She immigrated when she was younger, but still has a ton of extended family here watching her them play with these kids and they're trying to understand each other language wise. And it's a different culture. And we're like, what if we gave them this experience? So why not make the move? So two things, one, it gives my family an experience they haven't had before. Mm -hmm. And two, it, it, it takes away me being a hypocrite 
when I said that my vision is to travel for three months or more with my family anywhere we want to go. And now I have the ability to. So it's time to go. So we did yeah. it. We moved in August of 2022. We'll be here for at least a year, maybe two years. And um, it's been exactly that. Our kids are learning Spanish, you know, slower than maybe we hoped, but they're still learning it. Uh, <laughs> I'm learning a little bit, mostly when I go to restaurants. I know how to navigate that conversation, but um, that restaurants are gas stations. But um, it's been an incredible cultural experience. We're going to be traveling the country uh, over the next few months, a bunch of different locations we want to check out that my wife knows about. But yeah, my wife is from here that helped. But even if she wasn't, we were looking to do something, go somewhere that just gave us expanded context, if that makes yeah. sense. I love that. Yeah. I love I love that we're doing that for our kids. It just it stretches them out and their 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 expanse on the world just goes way, way bigger. Yeah, it's certainly a powerful thing. Um, okay, so circling back to real estate, I'm curious yeah. if you have any recommendations, resources, advice for someone who's looking to break into commercial real estate. Let's take myself, for example, or someone like in my shoes where I have a portfolio of single family rentals and duplexes, triplexes, you know, kind of small multifamily. And I like to take it to the next level. I'd like to start buying apartment buildings. What are some initial steps or resources you point someone to? Oh man. So there's so many good things here. First off, when you go into the multifamily space, commercial lending is a different beast in a good way, right? Commercial lenders are, are they treated way different? Like if you're buying single families, duplexes, that sort of thing, they're looking at your credit rating. They're looking mm -hmm. at your debt to income. They don't allow rents for a certain amount of time until, you know, like you own it for a year before they'll allow it towards your income. So you get capped real quick. Plus if you're buying uh Fannie Freddie back loans, you can only have a certain number, right? Like 10 of yep. them or something like that. Yep. Commercial is a team sport. And I say commercial, meaning commercial financing, which five plus unit multifamily would be, which I know you know. So commercial is a team sport. So the first thing I would say that you need to do is find the team. Even if you can afford to be all elements of what the bank wants in order for you to buy the property. And when I say all elements, if you've got the liquidity requirements that they need, if you have the net worth that they need, if you have the experience that they need, uh, all of that, if you have the, the down payment, the, the at-risk capital, if you've got all of that stuff, only you, great. But find the manager that you're going to use because you shouldn't self-manage. Find the broker that you can get in bed with and say, hey, look, I need, I need you to send me those pocket listings. I'm a closer. I've got this portfolio, that sort of thing. But I think taking it a step further, what I learned, and I don't, I don't know, honestly, if you can bypass doing it all, meaning like you own the property. So therefore you're going to learn the underwriting, the operations, all of that stuff. But what I learned quickly after buying a few multifamily properties was I don't love, I don't love the business of real estate. I don't love underwriting. I hate asset management. I don't like those things. What I love and knowing myself, I love talking to people. So investor relations comes naturally to me. I love mm -hmm. marketing, social media, that sort of thing. So marketing, the, the kind of the, the people aspect of real estate, I really, really enjoy. I ran a meetup group for a while. But yeah, I mean, that whole thing, like underwrite five deals this week, that was heavy. That was heavy to me. That always, it's still to this day, like I'm going to underwrite a deal, get into a spreadsheet. For some people, very light, awesome. For me, it was, I'll uh, go to this meetup and meet people and, you know, present what we're doing, no problem. Very light yeah. for me. So what I would suggest to anybody going into multifamily is know thy skill set and allow yourself to find the operator that you can insert that skill set into. So the the there's to me there's three there's three different personality types that add value in commercial real estate or in multifamily real estate. The first is the uh the uh integrator, somebody who's really great operationally can take the vision that somebody has and integrate it into reality, like the field general. 
The second is the analyzer, somebody who can dive in and look at underwriting and, and deals and they love optimizing the spreadsheet. They just geek out on that, right? And the third is the influencer, the person who is who is going to be, or the connector, I guess you could say, that's going to be really out there, like pounding the pavement, talking to people, going to meetups, all of that stuff. So typically when you find operators in your market that are doing deals at scale, that already have the broker relationships, that already have the systems and the processes, and you can take your experience and what you love and insert yourself and fill a gap for them in exchange for equity, to me, that is the greatest way to break into commercial real estate. Go in as a team. Doing it alone is just a lot harder. Unless you've got incredible brokers who are going to prioritize you, most of the time you're going to be there their third or fourth email list that gets any deal. And by that time, it's either not a good deal, that's why it got there, or any good deals are taken up by by list number one or list number two. So yeah. I think you have to know what you're passionate about in commercial real estate and find the partners or the other people that work for you or whatever to su supplement what you don't love. So if you want to hire the underwriter, if you want to hire the, the integrator and you're the connector, you're the person that goes out and markets and meets, great. But Plug in with a team or create one with the people that are doing the things that you don't love doing is my suggestion in commercial. Excellent advice. And I think I know the answer to this one, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Where would people go if they wanted to connect to some of these people who are you know, filling these roles that they might not have, bringing the capital, bringing the experience, bringing some of the knowledge if they're willing to do the hustle, or maybe they have the knowledge, but they don't have the time, or maybe they have the money and they don't have the other two. What, yeah. where, where do you suggest people look to connect with other people in the space? For your low cost, go to meetups, local meetups. And here's the key. It's go every month or week or whatever the cadence is of the meetup. Like I ran a meetup, man. And the, the people that came every month, I almost felt bad because it's like, why do they keep coming back? Like nothing's happened for them. But month nine, month 10, month 14, like boom, they came back consistently and they all of a sudden partnered and closed on a deal and all of that. The people who fizzled out, ah, I went to two meetings and I didn't get anything out of it. Those are the ones that never, ever make it in, in real estate. So go to a local meetup, stay consistently there, add value to the person organizing it, help them out, whatever it might be. That's the, the, the low cost level. The faster, more efficient, more effective way, in my opinion, is join a mastermind group. Join a real estate mastermind community, something like a GoBundance, whatever, where you're getting around real estate entrepreneurs, because you're going to be in a room with people who are proven in that regard. They yeah. know what they're doing and they've got the opportunity, the connections, the resources. So low, low cost, go to a local mastermind, a local meetup, higher cost. And I think more efficient is uh, join a mastermind group. Love it. All right. I want to wrap up here with some rapid fire questions. And you're sure. welcome to go into as much detail or length as you want on these. Uh, but first one is going to be what teacher or teachings have had the greatest impact of your life? Oh boy. Um, could be a person, could be a book, could be a course, could be any number of so, things. So it's funny, like right now I'm reading this book that's actually really, really impactful for me. It's called 10X is Easier Than 2X. This book is insane. It's really, really good. And um, so I'm learning a lot from him. The author is Benjamin Hardy, who I've gotten to know. <clears throat> he's written The Gap and the Gain, Who Not How. So he's a guy that I learned a lot from. Um, Brandon Turner has been a guy. Uh, he's a big real estate guy. He's uh, in this GoBundance community with me. I, I, you know, we, we keep in touch. Uh, he's another guy that I've just learned about big vision and, you know, like just putting it out there and letting letting the universe sort of fill it up behind you as long as you're in action. Um, but the book, the, the well, the book that's changed my life the most, I feel, is called Outwitting the Devil by uh, Napoleon Hill. One of my favorites uh, right? out of all of his books. Like, you know, 
Uh, his other books get a lot more notoriety, but okay. Outwitting the Devil is so damn good. It was so ahead of its time, man. Agreed, agreed. It wasn't even published when it was when it was written because it was controversial. Like you know, he's yeah. like talking to the devil in the book. So yeah. it was published in like 2013, written in like 1915 or something. But the book it really speaks to the thing. The reason why I quit. You asked why I quit my job. Like he talks about drifters. What's the yep. devil's true evil, right? It's not, you know, burn in hell because you stepped out on your wife or husband. I mean, that's, but it's more the devil convinces you to drift through life. And that book just got me like, oh my God, that's so true. Whatever you want mm -hmm. to call the devil or just the way people act, you don't have to be spiritual or religious about this. But the idea was that the true evil in life is when people just drift and they don't, yeah. they don't allow themselves to lean into what they're most suited for, what they're truly intended for. So when you asked the question, I was thinking, I was thinking of some different individuals, but that book, man, that book transformed my life. Same. Everyone thinks of like, uh, think and grow rich, grow rich yeah. Hill, and, and that's obviously massive, massive bestseller and, and a great book. But when I listened to the audiobook of outwitting the devil, it was maybe back in like 2020. Um, it's not that long ago, but it just, hit home, man. I was like, this yeah. is genius. And every single word in there is just, it just totally resonated with me. I've listened to it multiple times since then. It's like on repeat every six months or so I listen to that. Cause it's, I mean, it's super short, Like you can listen yeah. to audio book in a couple hours or read, read through it in a few hours. Yep. yep. Um, and it's the, the way that he writes it, the frame, the teachings, the information, the everything, just the psychology and the concepts that he talks about is just like, I cannot believe this guy wrote this in like, what the early 1900s or i don't know when yeah. it was written exactly yeah, yeah. but yeah it was 1920 it was, or something yeah like it was like 100 yeah. years ago and he's talking yeah. about things that just stand so true today like in Relevant. our current Fully society relevant. with yeah. even the the shift that we've seen in the last 100 years with our school system and a bunch of other you know sectors yeah. in our society it still was just like spot freaking on i was like yeah. this guy's the man so i would in the devil if you have yes listen to that you you have to anyone listening into this podcast and then all right next up jamie if you can narrow it down to one thing that has had the greatest impact on your success, what would it be? Oof. One thing that's had the greatest impact on my success. You know, I, I would say getting comfortable stepping into the unknown. That's, mm -hmm. that's the, that's an, a, a lot of coaching, a lot of work on that. Right. But uh, I learned um, through a really good coach that I have, Jason Trees. I learned that they're real, and he's right. There's the true exponential growth happens when you step into the unknown. When when you're when you're looking at whatever it is you want to do, and you're standing kind of like on this side of it, and not the unknown that you know is unknown, but like the unknown unknown, right? Like you step into like I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't even know what I don't know. Like when you step there, that is create that has transformed my life quickly. And it's created things in my life. I never, ever imagined possible, including moving here, mm -hmm. but people usually stand back and look at it and they start to think of all the things. Well, okay. But what about this? And what about that? And okay. Like quitting the job. What about health? The truth? What about this? What about that? And it's like quit. And all of that stuff will figure itself out. It just like, once you step in there, like all this noise circulating around you and all of a sudden, like you walk into this room and it's all lined up like, Oh, okay this is next. And then that's next. And then that's next. Uh, that's pretty easy, you know? So stepping into the unknown and getting comfortable with the idea and getting excited about, I'm about to go someplace I've never been. And I'm not sure of this is fucking cool. Like yeah. that mindset getting there. That's that to me is the thing that's transformed my life exponentially over the last few years. 
yeah embracing and leaning into that discomfort man it's it's a it's a it's an unlock it's the cheat code all right next next yeah. up what uh what was your greatest setback and what did you learn from it my greatest setback was uh, go back to the job it was it was going all in for something that i thought externally would fulfill me internally so i went after this position because of the 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 perks the benefits of it and when i got that job i got with it a boss that i was just completely misaligned with that i didn't like that she didn't like me i got a situation that was not aligned with who i am um so that whole entire that was like 2017 that whole entire year Go putting myself in a situation and, and I guess be careful what you wish for getting exactly what I wanted and then realizing how this is not at all what I wanted and how I was seeking external validation. Yeah, you know, that was a huge, huge setback for me. I was not present for my family. I was not a great dad at that point. I was a terrible husband. I was just, I was like Adam Sandler in click when he's fast forwarding through, but he's still there and just sort of a shell of himself. Like yeah. I was that guy for a year. I was miserable. I, I had this epic battle between my ego, which had won every time ego wants the job, ego wants the equity, ego wants the position. And my authentic self finally in that year said, all right, it's my turn. It's my turn to, to drive the ship here. And the ego doesn't go away easily. So those two just started going at it. And that was a really, really taxing year for me, 2017, especially. So biggest setback was chasing the result, chasing the external validation of what the result would give me. Uh, even though you know logically that you can't be fulfilled externally, it's got to come from within. I, I just I couldn't see it. I had blinders on, and and I chased it all the way to Michigan to a place I'd never been before. Uh, and yeah, major setback for me. What is the piece of advice you find yourself sharing the most? Uh, go, just do. You know, you have to go. Like so, real estate's a great example. A lot of people say, you know, oh, uh, uh, what what about this? How do I how do I get involved? And I'm like, do a deal. You just do a deal like, you know, educate yourself enough, know how much, you know, what's the price, what's the rent, you know, reserve some for expenses and taxes, understand all that stuff and then do it. But what yeah. most people do is they, they listen to like every episode of bigger pockets, mm -hmm. you know, and they write down, uh, you know, the one mistake each person in all 500 episodes made. And then they <laughs> use that as like an equal checklist for every deal they look at. So it's like, Oh, what about this deal? Wait a minute. Um, Oh, don't buy with flat roofs. It's like, well, you don't buy with flat roofs in Cleveland, maybe, but it's a little <laughs> bit different if you're in South Carolina, for instance, but they just, they go through this, like, okay, don't make these mistakes. And it's like, you don't know what it is to be a parent and not sleep at night and worry about a human being until you're a parent. You just can't know that. Like you can mm -hmm. logically have an idea. You can read books. You can listen to podcasts. You can talk to other parents, but until you become a parent, you don't know what it is. And then once you are, you overcome those challenges. You're resilient. Same thing with real estate, quitting a job, taking a job, whatever it is, you just have to do it. And you're going to learn from doing more than you are from, you know, thinking about it. So I always say, turn ready, aim, fire into ready, fire, aim, because you only learn after you fire. You truly learn after you fire how to aim. You can't aim before you fire, unless yeah. you're killing somebody, then you probably should. <laughs> yeah. Experience is the greatest teacher. I love it, Jamie. Well, dude, this has been epic. You've shared a ton ton of great insights, man. Appreciate your time today. Where can people go to learn more about you? Where can they sign up for your Rockstar newsletter? I mentioned at the beginning, <laughs> steer, steer these people to your, your stuff. Easiest thing, just go right over to Instagram at the Jamie Gruber. There's a link in my bio that you can register for the newsletter. Comes out every week, Confessions of a Midlife Entrepreneur. As you, at Midlife Entrepreneurs, you said, 
I share all the the messiness, all the the craziness, all the disorganization that I am because I think a lot of people think it's more you know, people are more like, you know, with it, or they've got it all together when they do something like I did. And nah, I'm not most aren't. So that newsletter reveals a lot. So Instagram is the best place. I'm glad you mentioned that too, because we highlighted a lot of the benefits on this episode, but it's, it's a tough journey with a lot of turbulence without a doubt. I don't care who you are, what type of success you're achieving financially. It's like when you're on your own, you know, it's tough. And so, uh, I do like the vulnerability and the insights you share as, uh, as you trip and, and pick yourself back up and the lessons you learn and all that. So I appreciate you, brother. Thanks for coming on. I, I am appreciate looking forward you. to a continued friendship. Like I said, we just met each other, but I know that, uh, you're, you're a special dude. And I, I appreciate you taking the time today, man. Same. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If you found it helpful, please share it along to anyone else you believe it can serve. You can submit your own question to be answered on the show by going to ryankennedyhealth.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review for the show. Your feedback helps to support me on my mission to positively impact as many people as possible with this information. Please note the information depicted in this episode is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine.